It's Tuesday, March 16th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. News out of the Vatican made clear the Catholic Church's stance on same-sex marriages. The Church will not bless these unions, despite how stable or positive the relationships are. This news comes at a time when more Americans are identifying as LGBTQ and less are identifying as religious. Bill Chappell, reporter at NPR, joins us for more. Next, two men have been arrested and charged in the assault on Officer Brian Sicknick during the Capitol riots on January 6th. The two men were charged with assaulting three officers with an unknown chemical spray. Julian Cater and George Tanios were seen on video at the riots spraying police and were caught when tipsters notified the FBI. Peter Herman, reporter at the Washington Post, joins us for the latest charges related to the Capitol siege. Finally, there's a lot of questions about vaccine passports and when they might be available in the U.S. These could be paper or digital documents that show you are fully vaccinated or recently tested negative for coronavirus, and it may allow you to travel internationally more freely or avoid local quarantines. Dr. John Torres, senior medical correspondent at NBC News, joins us for how the U.S. is still far away from laying any groundwork to get these vaccine passports implemented. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Uh, Marianne Duddy Burke, who's that group's executive director, I have a quote from her where she said, you know, this is hurtful to same-sex couples and dismissive of the grace demonstrated by same-sex couples who live deeply loving and committed relationships. Joining us now is Bill Chappell, reporter at NPR. Thanks for joining us, Bill. Hey, sure thing, Austin. We have some news out of the Vatican talking about same-sex marriages. They said that the Roman Catholic Church cannot bless these marriages despite how stable or positive that relationship might be. The message was approved by Pope Francis, who you know has made other statements about same-sex unions in the past before. But Bill, tell us what we heard from the Vatican on this front. As you said, the, the church weighed in on this issue. They, they said they were answering a question that said, you know, does the church have the power to give the blessing to unions of persons of the same sex? And they replied negative, <laughs> which is, you know, it's pretty stark. Yeah. And then they went, they went on and they gave an explanation that was then put out in, I believe, seven languages to make sure everybody got the message where they kind of, you know, they said, you know, the church doesn't have the power to do that. They said, that blessing uh, same-sex couples is actually illicit. They said it's not illicit, which means it's illicit right. to do that, that it's, the church would be overstepping its bounds and its power to do that. And then really the statement that I think a lot of people saw the most, they said that God does not and cannot bless sin. So that was probably one of the more hurtful remarks uh, to people in the LGBTQ community who've you know accused the church of not being there for their people in their congregations and people that, you know, saying that they feel like uh, being lesser part of the congregation. Dignity USA, which is a, an organization that represents LGBTQ Catholics, they said today they're deeply disappointed with this statement. Uh, Marianne Duddy Burke, who's that group's executive director, I have a quote from her where she said, you know, this is hurtful to same-sex couples and dismissive of the grace demonstrated by same-sex couples who live deeply loving and committed relationships. You know, this right. is a group that had been looking for some progress in, in helping those couples find a way to be in the church and have their unions recognized by the church, not to have their, their union essentially declared to be a sin. Right. The Catholic Church is a worldwide organization, but 
this messaging does come at an interesting time right here in the U.S. at least. We just had news stories recently that said that more Americans are identifying as LGBTQ. We've also seen this kind of decline of people who identify as being religious and more people identifying as, uh, I think Pew Research called them the nuns, those that uh, have no religious affiliation. It's not the kind of nuns that the Catholic Church is hoping to get. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, you know, um, yeah, you're right. And, and that's what a lot of people are saying. And the only timing I saw that collates with this is that, you know, in Germany, where they, where they legalized gay marriage a, a, a few years ago, church officials there have been looking for ways to reconcile that change, just as we as is happening here in the U.S. In Germany, they've been discussing a lot, and, and bishops were, have, have been t- discussing this. It reminds me a lot of how in the U.S., we have law against marijuana on a federal level, but all these states are coming up with their own version of their marijuana laws. You know, maybe right. the church is trying to get ahead of this and keep different dioceses and different church officials from kind of forming their own policies. Mm-hmm. You know, they're coming out with, with a strong statement today that certainly got a lot of people's attention. In their statement, the Vatican did have a, sort of this caveat that said, you know, well, this is what we're saying as far as same-sex marriages, but this doesn't mean that we intend this to be discriminatory and people should still be welcomed with respect and sensitivity. In fact, that was a lot of people saw that as kind of the old idea of, you know, you discuss the sin in a way, but you you discuss the person in a different way. And they're saying that, you know, Catholics should welcome with respect and sensitivity. And the way they phrased it was persons with homosexual inclinations, which isn't, I mean, that's not exactly the inclusive message a lot of people were looking for. And Pope Francis, for his part, had been, uh, you made mention in the article, looked at with some cautious optimism uh, by people in the community only because of past statements that he made. Uh, I think it was back in 2013, he said if somebody, and this was, I think, with uh, with regards to priests that might have been homosexual, he said, if they're looking for God, who am I to judge? He also, in a documentary, I think he said that gay people do have the right to be part of the family and that there should be some type of civil union law to at least offer them legal protections. That really get, got a lot of attention. I mean, that same group I just mentioned, Dignity USA, was one of the groups last year that welcomed hearing Pope Francis say that about same-sex couples needing a, a, a civil union law. That they're recognizing that they're in some kind of limbo that, that should not be, you know, they shouldn't be forced to sustain this. But now today was a very different kind of remark than what, right. what seemed to be coming. I can, you know, tell you, there's been a lot of people talking about it. It's been a topic on our website all day long. I mean, definitely, you know, it's a tough situation where the church wants to be more inclusive, welcome more people and not discriminate, you know, and then you have a declaration such as this and, and I get it, things don't change within the church so quickly or so often or whatever, but this doesn't really speak to the inclusiveness that they try to promote there. So it's that balancing act for them. And, and, you know, obviously it makes a lot of, a lot of people not very happy. Pope Francis had gone far. He got he got credit in 2013 when those remarks were, were discussed, and then last year when those his other, other statement came out. You know, he, he people recognized that he was going further than any pope before him had gone in, right. in kind of being accommodating and, and inclusive. You know, and but yeah, you know, there was also a recognition even last year where people said, you know, we could just be hearing Pope Francis's own opinions that don't necessarily translate into a change in the church church doctrine. And the, I think the church doctrine got reasserted today. Bill Chapel, reporter at NPR. Thank you very much for joining us. Sure thing, Oscar. Great to talk to you. Ch- 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 ch-
they are keenly focused on trying to find the right evidence to fully understand how he lost his life. Trying to understand what was that you know, singular moment, I, we may not get to that, but I think we have to look at uh, this officer's engagement throughout the day of defending the U.S. Capitol. Joining us now is Peter Herman, reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Peter. Uh, you're welcome. Wanted to talk about, uh, you know, we're seeing more arrests and charges coming in related to the January 6th Capitol riots. The latest, we've seen two men have been arrested and charged in the assault on uh, police officer Brian Sicknick, who later died. They were charging them with assaulting uh, officer Sicknick with an unknown chemical spray. We've heard things about it possibly being bear spray. So what do we know about these charges and what do we know more about these two men and their involvement in all this? Well, we're still trying to figure all this out. You know, they do not have a cause of death yet on Officer Sicknick. Um, it has not been ruled a homicide, but the cause of death is still pending, and they're waiting for toxicology results. That So what we have here are two gentlemen who prosecutors allege assaulted Officer Sicknick by spraying him with something, but they do not yet have charges that link anyone to his death and probably will not until they can uh, find out what the exact cause is. And the reason why we know it's these two men, they're caught on publicly available video. So how did that play out? What did the scene look like when they were involved there? Well, it's, they're, near a, um, they're near a bicycle rack outside the Capitol, and it's a very chaotic scene. But there is video that does show Officer Sicknick getting sprayed and two other officers being sprayed with some type of chemical irritant. It might be bear spray. It might be something else. All three officers were blinded for a number of minutes. And then, you know, we know Officer Sicknick, you know, stayed on the line or stayed outside for a little bit before retreating back to his office where he collapsed and then he died the next day. What were their names and, and how were they caught? My understanding was that tipsters alerted the FBI to them. Tipsters, yes. And um, the name is one of them is Julian Ellie Hotter. He's from Pens 32. He's from Pennsylvania. George Pierre Tenios, who is from Morgantown, West Virginia. Both are originally from New Jersey. Mr. Tanios runs a restaurant called Sandwich University, which is near uh, West Virginia University campus, caters to students. He was wearing a university t-shirt with his ins business insignia on it during the Capitol riot, which helped authorities identify him. Right. Yeah, and I Mr. guess- Mr. Hunter is also similarly recognized by other tipsters. Have there been any statements from them? I know that one of the family members for Mr. Tanios had spoken out and said, you know, it couldn't have been him. He didn't do any of that stuff. We have not been able to reach family for Mr. Cotter. We have reached the sister of Mr. Tanios, who says it couldn't possibly be him. They both had court appearances today, one in New Jersey, one in West Virginia. They were very perfunctory. Neither suspect said anything beyond simple yes or no answers to the judge. I did not watch Mr. Cotter's hearing, but Mr. Tanios's hearing, neither the prosecutor nor the uh, defense lawyer said anything. There'll be a more deliberative hearing on Thursday for him. As you mentioned earlier, there's no cause of death yet. So Officer Sicknick's death has not been ruled a homicide. So there were no charges of, of, of murder or anything like that for these two gentlemen. But what were the charges and, and how much time could they be facing on the current stuff? So the charges include assaulting and assaulting three officers because the Officer Sicknick and two other officers who were hit with chemical irritants. Um, assault with deadly weapon, disorder and obstruction of a congressional proceeding, and they're punishable with up to 20 years in prison. Finally, just, you know, what's the status of all the other cases that we've seen so far? You know, the, all these other charges. Have any of these made their way through courts yet or anything? No, we're probably at least a year away from seeing people go through, getting, getting all the way through the court proceedings. 
you know, we just published a story, you know, describing this as one of the most complicated and vast uh, prosecutions in decades. You know, you can consider all of the evidence, including all of the body-worn camera that, that you have 800 D.C. police officers alone all wearing body-worn right. cameras for eight or nine hours. All that has to, has to be sifted through, has to be given to defense attorneys prior to trial. I imagine there'll be a lot of plea negotiations going on. And they've indicated that you know, they've made over 330 arrests and there's more than 100 more that could come. Right. And the video and all the social media stuff, you know, just uh, you mentioned going through combing through all that is so tedious, but it's also, you know, so important. And this is how they're getting caught. This is how they're being identified is through their own postings. And as you mentioned, video that they were posting as well and even body cameras. Correct. You know, and maybe we'll see others down the line. You know, maybe there's others down the line that are more that, you know, we're not on social media that they that they charge. But for right now, it seems most of these people are, are on are all caught on video and then of their own and others. Peter Herman, reporter at the Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. You're very welcome, sir. Thank you. It's going to basically separate us into the haves and have nots, those who can travel and those who can't. And so what most countries are looking at is not using it as a you can't come in if you don't have it, but instead using it as a you don't have to go through a quarantine process if you have this passport. Joining us now is Dr. John Torres, senior medical correspondent for NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Torres. You bet, Oscar. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. I wanted to talk about this whole thing. Uh, we've been hearing a lot about vaccine passports or digital passports. They, they, they kind of have a few different names to them, but this is something that a lot of countries are working on. A lot of companies are even thinking about the process in which this could help out. And basically, this could be as simple as uh, something digital or maybe a paper document that shows that you had your vaccination or maybe you recently got tested and you were negative for COVID-19. This would allow for a little bit more freer travel. Maybe you won't have to quarantine when you land in another country, things like that. But we're not really sure where the U.S. stands on it right now. There's really no plan being set forth yet on this. And the travel season is going to start coming up sooner or later. And, you know, will the U.S. be ready and have these things implemented? So, Dr. Torres, I know you do a lot of international travel. You train NATO forces. Tell me a little bit more about what you're finding out about these vaccine passports. And Oscar, you're exactly right. They call them different names, passport certificates. And essentially what they're doing is they're going to allow you to get into countries, to get into certain areas. And in some countries, they're going to allow you to get into bars and restaurants and hotels because they show that you either had the vaccination, you're fully vaccinated, or that you've had a recent test and you were negative, depending on which countries, but the countries are already starting to look at them. And the important thing is there's a lot of criticism of them because they say it's going to basically separate us into the haves and have nots, those who can travel and those who can't. And so what most countries are looking at is not using it as a you can't come in if you don't have it, but instead using it as a you don't have to go through a quarantine process if you have this passport. You mentioned being on paper. More than likely, it's going to be more of a phone type app because there's more security in that. And one of the concerns here in the U.S. is when you get your vaccine, and I've gotten my both my vaccines, you get a CDC card. It's a white card and it has the lot number and when you got the vaccines. That is easily forgeable. So a lot of countries and a lot of companies are starting to come up with these apps are saying that's not good enough. We need a certification body, as in the CDC or state public health departments, to do this. The disconnect is that those aren't set up right now. So these are going to happen, these vaccine passports. And if you look right now, there's a variety of, of countries 
the first one was Iceland, and then you have Hungary, Czech Republic, Georgia, Poland, all these other countries, Greece, are starting to say, we're going to do it as well. It's just a way for them to open tourism, but do it in a way they know that they can still be safe, Oscar. And one of the things, though, is that the U.S. is not really anywhere near that right now. The CDC is still discouraging travel, essential, you know, non-essential travel for people that are fully vaccinated even. And, you know, they're going to come out with some more guidance soon enough on that, but we don't have that yet. And in the meantime, really the process for getting all of this other stuff done, whether it's an app or some official card or something, we don't have the groundwork for that just yet. IBM has something called the Health Pass, and I talked to them, and they said, yes, we can do this. It's an app that goes on a phone, but we need data from the CDC or state health departments. I talked to a variety of state health departments, and they all said, it's very complicated to get the information. I live in Colorado. I had to fill out a form that was notarized. I had to send in a copy of my driver's license, and then they sent me the information. But even that wouldn't be good enough because it has to come directly from the public health department. CDC said that they don't have that in place yet. They're looking at issuing guidance. When I asked them when, they said they have no timeline on that. Again, we're only a few months away from summer. And then Andy Slavis, who is, you know, runs the uh, pandemic response for the White House, he said today essentially that this is something that should be private, it should be secure, free, available, but it's not the role of the government to hold that data. You mentioned, you know, you got yours in Colorado, your vaccines in Colorado, you had to get a form notarized. In California, they can verify that stuff, but it's not available to the public. In Florida, they say contact your local health department. And you made mention in your article about this, you know, they had a little problem with some vaccine tourism at the beginning of it. So what do you do if you went to Florida and got one now, but you live in another state? And the big concern is here in Colorado, of the states I called, Colorado is by far the easiest to get that information. And it was available. I had to jump through a few hoops. But even they weren't giving it to these entities like, you know, the Health Pass or the Common Pass, which is another one. And these other states are saying, you know, we don't even really have anything in the works right now. And they haven't really, at least from what they were telling me, didn't have much information as far as what they were going to do. Again, the CDC is like, well, we're, we don't know yet. You know, we're still trying to figure it out. And vacations are, are coming. So my guess is that over the next few weeks or a month or so, you're going to hear more and more information because there's going to be more and more pressure from the public to say, hey, we're going to need these things to travel. Let's see what happens with that, Oscar. These vaccine passports are, are being looked at for more than just international travel, you know, sporting events, concerts, going to theaters, even taking a cruise. They're really looking at this as a possibility for more than just, uh, as I said, international travel. Probably best example of this is Israel started what they call the Green Pass. And Israel has the highest rate of vaccinations in the world. And so they're starting to implement what they call the Green Pass. With the Green Pass, which is basically either an app or a piece of paper that says you got the vaccine, you can get into, into cultural events, sports events, gyms, hotels, restaurants. But if you don't have the Green Pass, you can't get in there. So they're trying to use that, one, to make sure these things are open safely, but also to incentivize other people to get the vaccine. And I think once you start seeing these passports, and I think – to a certain extent, you know, the government's looking at ways to improve the vaccine hesitancy to get more people to want to take the vaccine. This is a good step, a good way to do it, saying, hey, if you get the vaccine, it doesn't mean you can't do these things. It just means it's much easier to do these things, and you can do it in a more timely fashion. You can catch more of Dr. John Torres on a special nightly news kids edition this Saturday. You can also check him out weekdays on the NBC Nightly News. Dr. John Torres senior medical correspondent for NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. You bet. Thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. 
follow us on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.